Hey guys, if you can think about how you found this podcast, maybe it's on Instagram or TikTok, maybe someone shared it with you. I don't run ads for the show or have sponsorships, so the only way this grows is through word of mouth. If this was valuable for you in any way, my only ask is if you could share this with someone who you think would help their investing journey or business. Thanks a lot, and let's get to the episode. Welcome to STR Like the Best. I'm your host, Michael Chang. It's my great pleasure to welcome Brian Hatcher to the show. Brian, thank you for spending time with us today. Thank you for having me, Michael. Excited to be here. Awesome. I'm looking forward to our conversation. So, Brian, I'd like to love to start the show by just giving you an opportunity to introduce yourself. Yep. Uh, my name is Brian Hatcher. I am the founder of Elite Escapes, which is a timeshare arbitrage company. We currently have uh, just around 300 units under management. We operate in 19 states, Hawaii, Mexico, the Caribbean, and Fiji. I also own where I operate here in Atlanta and am focused now on development of unique short-term rentals. Awesome. uh, Timeshare arbitrage is something new and I'm really curious about learning more about it. We'll definitely explore that topic in depth over the next 30 minutes and the new units that you're creating. Before we go there, I'd love to hear from you. Do you have a memorable short-term rental guest story that you'd like to share with the audience? But probably one of the most memorable guest experiences that I had was a guest who got me a gift. They were owners of a very unique distillery, and they were trying to expand their uh, operations. And they actually brought me multiple cases of this vodka that they produced. And what's funny is on the front end, they were probably one of the most almost annoying guests in terms of the number of questions and things they were asking, but it, it all made sense when they arrived with boxes and boxes of inventory from their business. They were very particular about the kind of place they wanted to stay at. They wanted to make sure it was safe, that they had somewhere to house all this stuff. So I was nervous before they came, but after they came, they actually ended up being the best guests I've ever had and left one of my best five-star reviews that I've ever had on a property. That's awesome. That's yeah. a great, it's a great, great story. Sometimes the most demanding guests can turn out to be your best always going to try to yeah, we always do, even when we have annoying guests or guests that seem very needy just try to put yourself in their shoes ask a lot answer your questions be helpful and hopefully they turn out to be these these really cool vodka producing people and not one of the other <laughs> the other types that just drive you crazy absolutely um, why don't we why don't we dive right in we were talking before we we came on today and you're telling me about these new unique stays that you're creating in north georgia Maybe just spend a minute and kind of just talk a little bit about what you're doing in the mountains of Georgia. Yeah. As I continued on the short-term rental journey, started trying to figure out the, where I wanted to pivot and move next and recognized, especially with the overhaul of Airbnb's website and the with kind of the types of stays they've been promoting, that unique short-term rentals is really where the market is moving in terms of what's top of the market and what's really performing well. And so taking that into account, I was like, okay, I want to move into that space and see what it's, see what it's like and start learning it. Cause I feel like ground up development and construction is a gray area when it comes to most real estate investors. We typically work with the asset after it's built. But so now I did some research within some mountain areas, found a nice pocket market where it looks like unique cabins do very well. And so I searched for some land up there and found just over seven and a half acres on a mountain ridge with some nice rolling hills and mountain views. And we're going to be developing between five and six unique 
glass cabins, going to have really nice mountain views, lofted bedrooms, and try to just provide that nice, secluded, luxurious mountain experience for all of our guests up there. So really excited about this. And I think it's going to be my favorite project in the short-term rental space moving forward. (laughs) That's really cool. Why don't we we double-click on that? So when you said you were looking at, and I agree, the more unique stays are definitely being highlighted and I think we'll be, we'll, we'll do very well. So when, let's bring in, just talk about the research and then I think you're you know, the research and the financing and the construction phase. Let's break that down. When you were doing research, like what landed you on this particular area? Like those, That's a great those question. seven acres. Yeah. Like how, so, what, what was your process? Yeah. So initially I started with where do I want to invest? And I knew specifically for construction and development, I wanted to be in an area that at least was somewhat close that I could check on. So that kind of limited, which I I like when you less options breed less regret, I think. (laughs) So (laughs) being forced to find a market that was within a, a couple of hour drive that made sense. And after really nailing down some of these markets in North Georgia that I would consider like tier two vacation markets that you can't really fly into, they're driven heavily by their tourism and attractions that they have, that they're going to be very short terminal friendly. They typically have a lot of strong anchor amenities in that type of market, whether it is uh, really nice hiking, uh, wineries and distilleries, uh, lakes, uh, rivers, tubing, those types of things, which This particular market has all of the above, and they have a lot of repeat types of visitors. So when you start Mm -hmm. to analyze the properties in that market, and you even look at some of the reviews, you notice that people say things like, our family come here, our family comes here every single year, or we love staying here every fall. So you know that they're going to have a consistent inventory of Mm -hmm. potential guests that you can serve. And that's where I started in terms of trying to identify the market in which I wanted to invest in. Got it. And is this the Blue Ridge, is it Blue Ridge Mountains or I mean, it's broad, uh, like, what, Yeah, this about? particular area is Dahlonega. The Blue Ridge Mountains do run all through that North Georgia area, but not okay. specifically the city of Blue Ridge. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. And then as you, so that's great, right? Good amenities, people go there a lot, long, long-standing history, so the regulations don't change on you. Were there like certain websites, data sources? Like how did you collect the data to give yourself comfort? Sounds like you're, you're in Atlanta. So it's, is it because you grew up there? You know the general culture and the vibe or were there some more hard data that, that you could point to, the, to qualify your decision? Yeah. So I started with AirDNA and knowing that I wanted to create some unique stays, I, I filtered down and looked at within these different markets that I was trying to identify and invest in North Georgia, would just filter down to what the top properties are specifically for studios and one to two bedrooms. Because I wanted to see the smaller, unique, almost tiny home-ish type of stays and see what they were producing. And then as I found the links to those listings through AirDNA, I was able to start to identify and save more of those types of listings within that area. And then I actually leveraged a tool by RankBreeze, which allows okay. you to look at the specific, they have a, an extra add-on within the suite of offerings that they have that lets you dig into the revenue of what a property is producing and forecast out based on its current bookings, how much money it's producing and will produce in the coming months. And so after I had like a, a wish list of these unique stays in North Georgia, I started getting more granular and seeing just how much they were producing and realized that you actually didn't have to have a six, seven bedroom home to make over a hundred K. You just needed something very unique in the right market. And you could have a two to three guest maximum and do the same kind of numbers, which oh, is really? what really pushed me into that space headfirst. 
That's great. If you can don't have to deal with 10, 15, 20 people <laughs> consistently to earn that kind of money, I think it's always it's always helpful. Our stuff's big. My inventory is all pretty in purposely middle of the fairway. People come in, they'll bring their families in, but we don't have anything like that. So I'm actually really curious on, on how you've like designed and financed it. I'm actually curious. So that's actually interesting. Most people talk about using AirDNA, using even Price Labs has their market research tool. Most few people have actually mentioned the Rank Breeze tool. What did you, and I know AirDNA actually also has revenue forecasts. Were, what was what was different about Rank Breeze that maybe gave you a little more comfort? Or did they look at the data a different way or a different source? What was different about Rank Breeze that, that helped you with your decision making? Yeah, honestly, Rank Breeze, the, it's like a Chrome extension tool. The main reason I use it is because you can start with the listing and then look into the specific listing and they actually show you how they're coming up with that that data and that number. My background is actually in data and analytics. So I, I like being able to see different sides of the data spectrum. I also that all data, no data is 100% accurate, but it starts to tell you a story. And so the more points that you have to look at, the clearer that story starts to become. And I think that's why I want to start with Air DNA because I feel like on the higher level, it can tell me where I need to look or like generally. Mm -hmm. But then as you start to refine what it is you're looking at, getting more specific data points that align with the types of unique stays that I was looking at and the types of markets, that helped a lot. Because on something like a STR Insights or a Rabu, or there's an abundance of data providers mm -hmm. now in the short-term rental space, I find that sometimes it's difficult to nail down the specific listings that you're looking at and what their actual revenue is within those tools. So that's the main reason that I wanted to use the Rank Breeze tool. Got it. Got it. That, that, that's great. And just to get be like pinpoint accurate with the listing that you want to comp against. There's some, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot more data tools now. We've been playing around with the, someone that has the, a deeper, very specific air DNA tool that allows you to go to every single listing and, and see like on a very granular level. I think you can do that in price labs as well. They allow you to go. My, I'm always curious, is it because sometimes the numbers are different and you're like, yeah. which one do you go with? <laughs> and you end up just kind of looking at other data or using, taking a lot of data and just aggregating it. But it, I think it just speaks to the more data you have and the more you look at it, the more it paints a mosaic and that you just triangulate. You never are going to be like, I'm going to hit it right on the head. But if you can have four or five data points that are around the same point, then we have a nice range to, to drive your analysis off of. So thank you for sharing that. That's awesome. So this was the financing part. Talk about how do you, how do you finance this project? Ground up construction in a rural market is not the easiest thing to get equity and, and debt and all that fun stuff. Like how did you approach that part of the equation? So there's two sides, really, when it comes to the financing aspect, and there's two ways you can go about it. And I went down, I've gone down both paths. The first path is you can just completely get a loan, a construction loan. There is, there's multiple products, but they're a really good product that I believe is offered through Fannie Mae with one of the lenders that I worked with allowed you to wrap the cost of the acquisition of the land, as well as the construction of the very first unit all under one loan. 
And during the construction phase, that loan is interest only. So you're only paying interest based on the percentage of the project that's complete. So if that interest rate is like seven, eight percent and they've completed 40 percent of the project, you'd only be paying that seven percent on the 40 percent up to that point. And then it will convert to a traditional mortgage once the construction is complete and they allow a one time rate float down from when you started the construction phase. Okay. That product is very helpful, especially if you leverage that with a strategy of what's called a partial lien release, which if you do this right and working with your seller on the front end, you can actually subdivide your land pre-closing, working with the seller, getting a survey done, getting that drawn up, sharing those plans with the county to make sure that the subdivision that you're proposing aligns with the different county rules. But then what you'll do is essentially buy one of those parcels of land at an inflated price. So let's just use round numbers of 100,000. You'd buy that one parcel for $99,998 and then the other two subdivided parcels for $1 each. Doing that at the closing table will allow you to uh, basically have three parcels of land, even though you're purchasing one parcel with that loan, so that once you finish construction of that first building or unit that you're doing, you can then refinance that construction loan into a full mortgage and then leverage the equity within these those other two parcels to get additional construction loans to then not have to put any additional cash down and start building. The only problem with that specific strategy is speed. You have to go slow because you have to wait for the process and the seasoning to actually get those different loans. And that was actually the way that I, the first, had a different tract of land under contract prior to this one that ended up not working out for a number of reasons. But that was the route we were taking with that one. And uh, another way you can do it is actually to just outright buy the land cash. Mm -hmm. There's, and if you have the means to do that, I would recommend buying the land cash simply because then you don't have to worry about the partial lien release. You can subdivide as soon as you purchase, as soon as you close, and you're not up against a timetable in terms of when you have to construct and build your properties. And you still have that same equity that you would if you were just to purchase them with a loan. However, you then can leverage whatever the cash payment was to just get a construction loan, similar mm -hmm. to a, a down payment. So you don't actually lose any of that capital. It's just now leveraged as equity. Got it. Got it. Wow. That's, I come from a finance background. That's very sophisticated, but, but I, I definitely can see the value in that. That's a lot of way to have the government on your side there. That's a, <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's really smart. But look, there is about like the value of time and speed, right? Like mm -hmm. I always say this to everyone, time is the enemy of all deals. The longer yeah. a deal is pending, the more people change their mind, other things happen. Like when you have a deal and you like the deal, close it, sign it, close it then and there. For folks that are out there thinking about different financing strategies, like raising equity, just always I think be cognizant of the time it takes to finally actually close the deal and get started because things change, right? Say you like had a loan in 2020 and it took you two years to get it everything done. Well, look, you just missed like the last two, like the best years in STR land. You know, those are things that I think everyone needs to just keep as a, it, it does not, it's not dollars and cents, but it's hard to quantify, but it is dollars and cents. Okay. So this land you bought, you bought cash? Yes. Okay. And then have you started building? No, we've not started building yet. And so the construction phase, or when it comes to development, 
you realize there's a lot more hoops than it is just, <laughs> oh, let's just buy the land and start building. Most of the time you actually spend is pre-breaking ground. Once you break ground, things typically move a lot faster than you'd think. But we have, we're going through, uh, of course, a permitting process. With, because of what we're building, we, we have a number of permits that we need to have passed with the county, as well as we realized once we went out to the land and actually staked out the edges and the pinpoints of the actual plot, that a very small sliver of the access to that land was actually owned by the neighbors. So we then had to get in contact with them, which they're, they were like, a large investment group that's absentee. They own over 300 acres in the area. So it was very difficult yeah. to get in contact with them. <laughs> but ultimately we had to put an easement pro uh, request proposal in front of them so that we can then can pave this area of land that we need for the development and carry utilities up to the property that we own. So this is, this is not fun at all, man. Oh no. <laughs> so we actually had to go back to the selling agent and the seller and ask for an extension, both on due diligence and closing because that investment group can't meet to decide on the easement until the week after Labor Day. So our timetable is now pushed back a little bit and we're in a waiting game right now, but we have been able to tie up some of the other due diligence items in the meantime. So that's been good. Got it. Are they being nice about it or are they going to charge an arm and a leg for this, this piece of <laughs> Don't worry. This this won't be published. This won't be published until like October. We did come up, come to them very forward and basically say, "Hey, we're willing to cover all the costs associated with this. What we're doing is only going to add value to your land. We're essentially helping it become." improved land basically from raw yeah. land we don't foresee them having any issue but we understand that them as a company they do have to come together and meet to make a decision it's not just <laughs> on one person so we don't foresee any issues fingers crossed but yeah uh, we're hoping that all goes well <laughs> oh they don't too much they don't take too much flesh from you guys yeah <laughs> okay got it so you're still waiting to close in a line basically so you, mm -hmm. you can't you're not gonna close until which is smart right i think it's speaks to the point about diligence and it sounds like you're a very detailed in how you approach this. Like the worst thing to do is buy something and then, oh, wait a minute, like we need to actually get this easement and this, that's not something you want to deal with post-closing. You definitely want to deal right. with pre-close because that's oh, yeah. a whole different bag of worms that you have to, to, have to deal with. Okay. So obviously, and then you got to, are there builders there that you like are contact? Do you have a design? Do you have like the design done? Like where are you at with the design of and, and construction of this? Yeah. Wait, so but, they, wait, I, but do you have to like run utilities and stuff up there too? Like county and there's all Yeah. So luckily, so maybe some background will help. I had another parcel of land that was a little over 10 acres under contract and we had already went down the, the path pretty far on that piece. So I already had my team with, an, I have an architect, a GC that fully understands okay. what we're trying to do and the vision. We're all working together along with an engineer. We have a soil test person. So all of these people we, that we've already gone through the previous parcel with are just now moving to this one. So we already have the team and know what we're doing and how we're trying to build it so we can move faster this time, which is nice. I was able to find them online, really just looking for unique builders in North Georgia. Mm -hmm. And then good people always know good people. So after finding a really good architect, he had a team that he was already working with. And that's how I was able to find that side. In terms of the actual land, there it used to be a there used to be a mobile home on this land. 
So luckily enough, there is already a well up there as well oh, as good. a utility pole. We just have to get the utilities turned back on and then oh, okay. uh, test the well. So that would have been a very large expense, especially how high up these properties are. So we're very happy about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, man, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. That, that sounds like a great, great set of circumstances to, to, to move quicker. And you know, obviously, best of luck on the closing in a few days. Thank you. Thank you. So I want to transition the conversation to your other business, which I found super interesting, the timeshare arbitrage. Maybe just take a minute to describe what that means. Yeah. And I know you operate in kind of the more traditional side of short terminal arbitrage, but it's very similar in terms of we, of course, you're getting a property at a specific price or lower rate, and then you're marking that rate up, providing value, and then reselling that to various guests. And so on the timeshare side of things, there's multiple ways that you actually can uh, do timeshare arbitrage. One of that, one of those ways is really just through ownership of multiple different deeds that you can consolidate into one. Then you can leverage your timeshare points, credits, or weeks, whichever model that the timeshare network that you're operating within has. And then depending on the guest structure, you're then able to sell your dates or inventory or market those dates or inventory to guests on various OTAs or online travel agencies like an Airbnb, VRBO, or your own direct booking site. Another way is by leveraging, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh yeah, just I maybe mean, just positive because like, that's all, I think there's a lot to unpack, and I'm having trouble following <laughs> it. So you buy, I don't own any vacation rentals, so correct me when I'm wrong. But so you buy a, a number of deeds from a, of of timeshares, right? Which gives you certain rights, nights, points, whatever the case may be. So is the strategy to buy to aggregate like cheap deeds because people? I assume people don't. You read the horror, you always read the horror stories about timeshares. So you get stuck and like, oh my God, I can't get out. So I assume they want to like just get rid of it. The buyers just get rid of it for nothing, just to not have to pay the annual fees and all that fun stuff. So you just, you buy, so you basically buy them. Is there, uh, let's just start there. Is there specific stuff that you're looking for when you're buying? Like you're trying to buy an all one network or one area, one location. Is there a specific way that you're looking to find these deeds? Yeah. So I recommend using some sort of broker or brokerage service. And it's a, bro it's a broker service for everything. Absolutely. <laughs> but it is a little tricky to navigate, right? You touched on something great, which is the industry and the landscape. Timeshares in general is not an industry that a lot of people want to get into. Most people are looking to exit a timeshare <laughs> and get out of. There's a lot of kind of scamminess and just negative connotation along with right. timeshares. But that does create some sort of opportunity on the acquisition side because there are a number of people who just say, I'm willing to do anything to let this go. <laughs> I just want to get rid of it. I want my hands clean of it. I don't want it. But then on the, on the same token, it is difficult to find really good providers and brokers in the space who can actually help you acquire good contracts because you have to be a little more weary since there are people who know that there's a lot of people trying to offload and take advantage of that. But once you connect with a broker, typically you can verify their inventory by asking them for the contracts that they have of the uh, actual timeshares. So that's okay. a really good way to you know differentiate and make sure you're dealing with someone who's legitimate. If they can't provide you with a copy of the actual contracts that you're inquiring of for a timeshare network, 
you should probably stay away from them. Okay. Uh, within, there's multiple timeshare networks and they all have different ways that they operate. So you have to understand how they operate and which gotcha. kind of deeds make sense. Most of the time you want some type of deed that is going to give you multi-property access within their network, not specifically tied to one resort, unless that resort has crazy demand and is just a okay. really good area. Then I'd be open to being in those areas. And when I say crazy demand, I'm talking about your like, Hawaii's your really premium vacation like destination. Like Disney World. Like, right, yeah, like right. They're always, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so you bought, so you, 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 there's a certain way to do this, you, certain people that you talk to, but you want to, you, you want to be intelligent in aggregating these deeds. And then what's the next step? So you have, I don't know, like a, 10 deeds, you have a thousand nights. Like, how do you actually go and now find guests for these? Stays. Do you have certain blocks of days? Is it like, I only get December or do you have, I have a thousand points and like December 25th is like a thousand points and January 2nd is like five points. Is that what's, how does that work? Yeah. So every network has different, I would call them like credit charts or weeks okay. charts, points charts that can help you really understand. And I recommend looking into this prior to purchasing because then you're gonna understand just the value of how many points you're actually getting within a specific deed, right? Because something might say 300,000 points or Wyndham points, for example. Like I know 300,000 Wyndham points is not a, a, a ton, but that might sound like a ton to somebody. <laughs> okay. Whereas like within a different resort network, like a Marriott Vacation Club, where 5,000 points within MVC is actually a good, that's not a bad amount of points. So it's, it's all relative to how they redeem in their credits and point charts. Yeah. And so I think it's important to understand that on the front end to see if a deal makes sense worth acquiring, because then you'll have a better idea of the types of stays you can get. And most of the time with a multi-property type of deed, you have access to availability sometimes 12 to 18 months out with, with your points. And then you can start to see, okay, I could market these various properties or I have access to these properties. Maybe I can identify which of these units make the most sense in terms of marketing and in relation to my point so that I can get the highest return value, right? Because you, you're ultimately converting those points to cash. But the beauty within the timeshare industry is you get those points every single year. So even when you pay up front, hopefully you're getting a deed at a good cost. After those, that initial acquisition cost is it. Then you get those same points renewed every single year. So your return on those points is going to go up over time because you're not paying that same acquisition cost, but you oh, do still sure. have the ability to get those, to use those points and turn them into cash each year. Um, so it sounds like frequent, so these are like frequent flyer miles or like credit card points that like you need to understand like the different rules <laughs> that like they, they, okay, got it. So that's great. That's, that's a, there's a lot of value there, right? Like you, you have to really understand like redemption and restrictions and all that fun stuff in order to like understand the value of what you're buying. So it, it sounds pretty complicated. There's like a lot of different pieces here that you have to really optimize <laughs> for. And with your data background, I think it's like perfect for you. Is there, is it something where actually back to the vacation rental point or sorry, timeshare rental point, mm -hmm. don't they have to pay like an annual fee? Isn't there, aren't there like annual fee? Aren't there fee? You, it's not you just buy it and then you get 10,000 points, right? You have to like pay the fees every year, right? That's what gets people stuck and they're like i got to get out of this because it's not just the money that they paid to buy it but it's like they charge them x dollars for a year to to use it or to maintain it is that correct 
Yeah. So there are maintenance fees associated with the number of points that you carry, which is why you want to also be strategic because not all contracts are created equal. And a lot of times their maintenance fees are outlined ahead of time. So you can have an idea of how much I would look at that on the arbitrage side of like your liability, right? That you're taking yeah. on is different versus you having a lease that you're ultimately covering as your liability. Maintenance fees are more so the liability that you're covering on the timeshare gotcha. side. But again, those are only that's only one side of the timeshare arbitrage. There's also another side that's also very lucrative, and that is tapping into the excess inv owner inventory that these different resort networks will offer, especially when owners are not heavily using their timeshares, because most timeshare resorts are split into two types of inventory. Uh, generally within the whatever the covenants or rules were when they established the timeshare network, a portion of that inventory is dedicated to owners and owners only. And then a very small portion of that inventory can just be sold to the general public. There's, a lot of times there is a discrepancy within how much owner inventory is actually being used. But because that amount is being subsidized by those maintenance fees, it's not that mm. big of a deal to that resort. But they will then offer every now and again access to those units, typically at a cash price. And that's where you can scoop that inventory up and also yeah. add it to the inventory that you can leverage with your points to also market mm. and make an additional revenue. Got it. Got it. That's cool. Oh, there's so many different layers to this. That's fantastic. <laughs> no, that's yeah, great. we do a little think, bit of everything. Yeah, no, that's great. But I think it's if you can... Really, so it sounds like just really understanding the rules, really understanding like what you're buying, the properties, and then you, there's a, there's a lot of opportunities where this is either misunderstood or has a pretty negative connotation to, but there's a lot of value there if you can just like peel back the onion and really understand like where the value is because no one's looking at it because it's such a it has a certain kind of veneer to it that most people are like oh, I just want I don't want to deal with it. That's great. Remind us again, how many units do you, or how many units are you managing? Like what's the size of your timeshare arbitrage portfolio? Yeah. So our inventory does change a lot of times in relation to that second side of mm. what extra bonus inventory we get, but we typically hover around 300 to 320 ish units live uh, most of the time. Got it. How many nights, just curious with that many units, like how many nights are you selling? Like last 12 months, like how many nights do you actually sell on these? The, so property count doesn't really matter as much, right? Because you can just have right, like one right. night at one property. It doesn't in in, in, our, in the traditional arbitrage, the traditional STR world, one unit equals two hundred sixty-five days of, of availability. Generally, for you, it could be one or it could be three sixty-five. And I'm glad you made that point because I always have to bring that in because when most people hear, oh, 300 units, they're like, oh, you must be going crazy. And I'm like, it's a different model. So you have to understand how it works. And what we like to measure on our side from what makes sense is our profit per booking because we're what we're doing okay. is pushing more of a volume game and we're trying to increase the margin that we can get on each booking because mm -hmm. within a general setup, there's a cost associated with each night that we're renting or that we're selling. And then there is a markup, which we have a formula and how we come up with that in all of our different markets. And so the goal is to expand that difference or what the arbitrage is over time. So let's yep. say, for example, we have units in Austin that are renting or that we're able to purchase at 65 or $70 a night. Let's just say $70 a night. And then we're able mm -hmm. to then resell those nights at 120 to $130. So we're going to be looking at a 50 to $60 a night profit. So if someone stays three to four nights on top of the cleaning fee that we add in, we're looking at anywhere from 200 to $300 in 
profit for that specific booking. And then the, the way we try to hack for additional revenue on the cost side is we leverage a middleman, all the transactions with a business travel card, since we're purchasing so much travel every single month for the operations. And then we're able to get 3% of that back in points gotcha. that we can leverage in any right, type okay. of way. Got it. Got it. Okay, cool. So, okay, cool. So you get back, you get a rebate back from the credit card. That's smart. Yeah. The nice way to build your margins and that's on the full and it's all on the, on the full on the full reservation value, not just the, the profit. So that's a nice little hack there. So is it just broadly speaking, is this a 50% margin business? Is this a 20% margin business? I just. Yeah. On, so we've been doing a pretty good job of increasing it. And right now we're hovering around 36 to 37%. On That's a, not bad. Yeah. We, when we first started out, it was closer to, but as we figure out better ways to refine and tweak, and I'm still learning along the way, cause it's, it's something new to me as well. We've been doing a little over um, a year and a half now, but it's, you find out new things, you learn new things, you tweak and just test, but that's where we're sitting at now. What's the biggest constraint to this business? Is it capital? Is it brain power? Cause you gotta just understand more. You got really good with like one network. You have to understand the other network or like, what are some of the constraints of this business? I would say the biggest constraint is your access to inventory and being able to forecast because you, and, and that's part of the reason that I'm pivoting into primarily development, because the key pieces of this business that you own, you're not in control of. For example, we had some really, really good inventory. We had some really awesome destinations that we got that were accounting within maybe like the Hawaii, within Hawaii and the Caribbean. We got tons and tons of units out there and they were just selling like hotcakes. And we saw our revenue almost double what we were used to in one month. Nice. And that was awesome. And then the second month, much of the same thing, but then we lost a lot of that inventory and we don't have control. Why'd you lose it though? You have the points, right? Yes, but on the point side, you have less because now I'm constrained by the number of points that I can use. Whereas in the bonus inventory side of things, that has an unlimited cap until basically the resort runs out of inventory. So you have to be strategic mm. in the balancing act of when you want to use points and when you want to use extra inventory, because you also want to maximize your points. But once your points run out, you have to wait then until your points mm. replenish again. Gotcha. Gotcha. So it's a balance between you got to like guess or predict when there's more <laughs> owner nights ready to buy versus trying to use your points. Yeah. So you try to scoop it up for a cheap cash price. Versus using like a finite amount of points. So is it just more just buy, but can't you just buy more de- or are these limited supply to buy more deeds that have like Marriott home villas or Marriott, right? Just buy more, find and buy more Marriott deeds that are better. Is that a way, is that a way to think about it? So or that is, it is hard to find those deeds. Yeah, it's not always easy to find the right deeds. And at the same time, it's also a long process. So it can take as as long as eight to nine months to get a new contract, a new deed fully converted in your name and live. Yeah, so it's not as quick as 30 days of buying a home. So you have to be very strategic and intentional because it's going to take a long time before you actually have all the tools you need. Okay. Okay. No, that, that, oh, okay. That, that, that's another, yeah, it's, it's, it's this Rubik's cube of a bunch of different constraints and trying to figure out, but 40% margin is great. Just the scaling part of it is, it sounds like it's, there's pieces there that you have to get right. Right. Are, are these contracts right. expensive? 
they can be as little as $500. They can be as much as $10,000. It really oh, okay. varies on the secondary market. A lot of it gotcha. is dependent upon does the, is the owner aware of what they have and, uh, and how much, I think it's very similar to almost finding a deal in real estate. Sometimes people uh, it's it need to get out and they have a pain point. And so you can provide a solution. Other times people are, they know what they have and they're trying to sell something for a profit. Okay. Got it. Okay, cool. Thank you for uh, sharing that. That's uh, just, I think I was, there's always these like really interesting pockets of opportunities within short-term rentals and real estate. And if you much, if you can understand and unpack a niche, then there's you know definitely money to be made there. So congrats on finding this like really cool niche. And as you wrap up the conversation, are there any lessons that you pull on your journey for new investors that are listening? Like, what are some you know Brian's top three picks on like how do you get off the starting block? How do you get off the starting block? Like, how do you just get started in this? So I'm a big proponent on education. And mainly only because it's been so helpful and pivotal within my journey, I was fortunate to join a mastermind on the front end before I ever got started in short-term rentals. So I think that's a big difference between a lot of people. I feel like a lot of people try to get started first and say, let me see what I can do on my own. And then when they hit certain roadblocks or feel like they're not getting the result that they want, they're like, okay, now I'm going to go look for help. But Getting that help on the front end will streamline your journey and your process so much more because you're able to set the foundation for what it is that you're trying to build. And then you have a support system and community around you to help you along the way. That is my number one piece of advice to everyone that I try to talk to. It doesn't matter who that community is or, or who hosts that community or where, but make sure you find some solid group of people that you can trust who are who look like where you want your journey to be in the future. Yeah. And then follow them because that will help you far more than just trying to go on your YouTube university and <laughs> Googling your way through it. Like in, in today's day and age, we don't have necessarily an information problem. We have a quality of information problem yeah. and application of information problem. And there's information is abundant, but how do you discern the quality of it and how to apply what you're learning in a real life scenario. And I think that's the benefit that you get from joining a different a community, a mastermind or a program. Yeah, no, that, that that's a great, that, that that's a fantastic point. It's always, an, I, I don't know where I heard this from, but it's like always invert, like always take something that you're doing, just invert your thinking and see if that makes sense. And you're right. Just similar with me, when we, when we started the short-term rental business, we didn't join a mastermind. We, we fumbled our way through it for the first probably year and a half. And then we met some people that were where we wanted to be. And then we exchanged value and it's helped us a ton in our journey. Had we had that in the beginning, taking your advice at the beginning, I think we would have been a lot faster. We would have accelerated a lot faster in our journey. Maybe we'd have been, but who knows? Like maybe it would have been further, maybe we would have been further back. Maybe it would have been like really big during COVID and then like when it completely <laughs> got crushed. I think things always happen for a reason too. But yeah, I, I think the value of finding, uh, to your point, a community of people that you just identify with, that you, you like, that you resonate with, you have shared learnings or shared background, whatever that case may be, whether people that will care about you and want you to succeed without like an immediate return, right? They're just saying, hey, I want to be helpful. Like Brian's a cool guy. Mike's a cool guy. Let's help him. And he'll be, he'll contribute back to the community. And that's a great way to look at business and look at life. So I you know, appreciate you, you sharing that. And then my, my final question is within this community and the business is not a, is a team sport and we're never alone on this path. 
What's one of the kindest things that people, someone's done for you along your way that has been really instrumental to your growth? That's a really good question. I'd probably say the kindest thing is probably offering accountability. I think having accountability between you and someone else, especially who's trying to achieve the same goal, you don't realize just how valuable it is until you've had it for a little bit and you realize how much it's pushed you and kept you on track and kept you focused. But not a lot of people want are willing to offer being that maybe accountability partner or to hold you accountable and really stick to it. And it's something that's extremely valuable and overlooked. I feel like when just the game of business in general, having yeah. people who are going to hold you accountable and keep you focused on what you said you were going to do and how you said you were going to do it is, is, has an unlimited return. Honestly, it's a tremendous value. May, and I'll share mine. May I ask who is your accountability partner? Yeah, Ruben is actually my accountability Ruben. partner. <laughs> uh, shout out my, to the guys over there at Invested Talent and Invested Escapes. Love them. Yeah, shout, shout out to Ruben too. He was my first ever podcast. We both, he, when he was living in New York, we met up, we had lunch. I like, he's like the best guy ever. I love Ruben. So, folks that you're listening to this, check out Invested Escapes, check out Ruben's podcast. Like, the, the guy's a wealth of knowledge and one of the best people that you meet. My accounting partner is, is my wife, actually. Liz, like we started this business together. Accountability on a lot of different levels, but definitely on the business side, just holding each other accountable for what we said we would do and our, our shared goals together. One thing that we always do every year is we have a we have a goal setting session at the end of the year, usually in December, where we like map out where we like look at what we did current year, like how we mapped to last year's objectives, and then look at the next six months. And then we'll do that in the mid-year, just like a quick review and like, how are we done? And it's just always really fascinating. We'll go back and look at 2017, 2018. We're like, wow, like that was stupid. <laughs> we're like, <laughs> we didn't do anything here. And then just seeing the evolution of what the plan was and where you are now. And it's never like, like what we thought in 17, there's nothing to do what we have, what we do now. But I think having that roadmap and holding yourself accountable to that, to something and going through that thought exercise of planning a year ahead and looking retrospectively, I think it's extremely helpful. And that's something that you, anyone that's like listening, if, when you have an account, accountability partner, a great way to write down on paper what you're accountable mm -hmm. for, because then you can go back to each other and be like, hey, you said you were going to do this. What have you done towards that goal? And then right. if you have passed that, great. If you haven't, then like lessons for the next year's session. But that's great. I, you know, I, I'm, it's great to hear it, Ruben. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> great dude. Brian, very, very, thank you very much for joining me today. It's a great conversation. And thank yeah. you for sharing all your insights. Oh, actually, before I go, what, what's the best way for people to find you? Yeah, you can definitely connect with me on Instagram, Facebook, all of the socials at the real estate hacker is my at name or my username. And then you can also, I host monthly coaching calls free. They're just really for anybody who wants to connect, learn, ask questions. You can click the link in my bio to join that. Perfect. And in the show notes, we'll have a link to Brian's Instagram. Please give him a follow and take advantage of his weekly or his, his coaching calls. I think those are always very, very helpful. And Brian, thanks for offering that to the listeners here. Look forward to getting updates on your construction project and we'll say all the best to you and, and your family on, on, on all your very cool business ventures. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And good luck with you guys too. I'm excited. I love watching your 
posts and your videos on your huge arbitrage business. It's, it's definitely inspiring. So keep it going, man. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Ryan. I appreciate that.